Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host, and very happy to be with you today again. Thank you for tuning in with us, and please stay with us for this coming hour, and you'll be blessed with um, many insights from the Bible. We are committed to look into the Bible to have answers for our questions, and always you could um, contact us if you have any questions and you want to know more from the Bible. But before we go into the study today, I would like to just uh, welcome uh, my panel here today, and uh, I will start with Len, who we missed last week. Yes, I was away last week, but I'm happy to be back, and hello, listeners. Good to have you with us, Len, always appreciating your uh, thoughts and comments. And Ken, thank you also for uh, joining us, and... Uh, uh, always we like your accent, and uh, we have listeners who asking me, who's that gentleman there? <laughs> well, uh, it's great to be here, and uh, I do hope most of the people are understanding most of what I say anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, we'll translate. Yeah. <laughs> Lija, also very um, happy to have you with us also. I'm very glad to be here to study God's words. Thank you. All right, and Brenton is our uh, facilitator. And Brenton, I must take this opportunity to just uh, thank you for all the time when uh, you were with us coming here and share uh, some of your uh, insights and, you know, wisdom from God. Because uh, unfortunately for us, you are going to move uh, a little bit away from here, from Adelaide, and it will be a bit harder to have you on a regular basis. Even though we may try to have you maybe over the phone, who knows. Uh, but um, thank you very much, uh, Brandon, for uh, everything what you have done to help this uh, discussion, you know, to, uh, to build up on very good thoughts. And um, today you are, uh, for the last time with us, uh, facilitating this Bible study. And um, I would like to just ask God to bless you and bless each one of us here and all our listeners. And welcome to the program again. Thank you for your very kind words, uh, Nick. It's been an absolute pleasure to uh, serve on this Bible study panel uh, with my fellow panellists. And I believe that God has blessed our humble efforts over the last few years as we present God's word week by week on the, on the panel. We do get feedback from you listeners indicating that you appreciate um, our exposition of the word of God and our explanation of it and how it applies to our everyday lives so even though I'm shifting down to Mount Gambier I will be back from time to time and hopefully I will be able to be part of the panel again. That's very good to hear uh, Brenton and we'll, we'll uh, take that in consideration. Um, just before we move into to the topic for today uh, we'd like to start with a word of prayer if we could and Lija can you please just uh, lead us in prayer. Holy Father in heaven, we're coming here before you to study your word. It's a pleasure, Father, to be at your feet, yes. talking to you, and we would like to ask you for your Holy Spirit to come into our minds and hearts to cleanse us from any iniquities and bring more light from your Holy Word to teach us, to guide us, to rebuke us, in everything we need. Father, we acknowledge that we do not know everything and therefore approach you with humbleness to learn and willingly follow what we hear or read. Thank you, Father, for everything. Amen. 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 All right, Brandon, it's all uh, 
to you now, and uh, please uh, lead us in this Bible study. Thank you. For the benefit of our listeners uh, today, uh, we're going to be looking at Ezra 9, Ezra 10, uh, some of Nehemiah 13, particularly the last few verses, and a little bit from the book of Deuteronomy. As we've been through this series this uh, over these last few weeks, we have learned quite a bit. One of the issues that the exiles found when they returned from Persia to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, the temple and the walls, as we have discussed in previous sessions, they came across the issue that a significant number of not just the common people, but of the leaders had actually married foreign women. In other words, people who were not of the Jewish race, who in many cases were still pagans. They did not actually have the religion of God. And today it it sort of comes to a head as we look at this particular subject. One of the things I'd like to say is this. Our study seeks to determine are there general principles here applicable for today? Or was this a one-off situation where the very lineage of the future Messiah was affected? because some of the actions we will study today, panel, are fairly drastic. How can we determine from Scripture God's will in relation to mixed marriages and how to be holistic in assisting those who accept Christ today but have an unbelieving husband and wife? I believe these are are general principles that um, we need to look at. I'm going to start by asking our panel to have a look at Deuteronomy 7 verses 3 and 4. All right. I wondered if you could read those verses for us and perhaps explain a little bit about what is God saying and why. Here. All right. I'll read first. Yes. I'm reading from the New International Version, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. These are instructions direct from God. He said, Do not intermarry with them. These are the uh, people groups that lived around in that area. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. For, and here is the key, for they will turn your sons away from following me and serve other gods and the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. This is a big issue we're dealing with today. Now, the, the problem is that God wanted his people to be a witness to the world of the God who is the creator God, the redeemer God. And in following these pagan religions, which would have been brought in by a marriage partner, it draws people away from God. And if you read the history of Israel through the Old Testament, it happened time and time again, where the Israelite people who were to be God's representative people were drawn away And they uh, got involved in idol worship and practices which the Lord did not approve of. Mm, Thank you, Len. Any other comments from our panel on that one? Ken, did you have a comment on it? I think this is a a much deeper uh, subject than perhaps what we're just looking here at the moment because it seems perhaps on the surface, well, it's not that serious a thing you're marrying somebody else. Uh, We'll be able to change them. 
But as we have found out, or speaking personally anyway, over the years uh, that I've been involved with the church, that uh, many people who do end up marrying somebody outside of the church or a different religion, often there's either conflict or the person that was already in the church leaves the church. That's an interesting uh, comment, uh, again. Yeah. The other very serious thing, of course, is, and I, I guess we'll maybe touching this later on so I hope I'm not going too far in front of you no, is of course no, no, when uh, children come along mm. Uh, mm. and that can what be a major thing mm. yeah. mm. do they go to church do they go to a church school or a re- religious school mm. Nick you had your hand up and Lydia as well Yeah, I just want to pick up on what uh, Ken was uh, saying uh, in terms of um, we may want to change those people who we uh, want to connect with, you know, in way through the marriage. Uh, but that's the problem because uh, we approach it wrongly because we think we can change rather than allowing God to change. Mm-hmm. And one good thing is that the Bible tells us that if somebody who's not from Israel and from God's people, but they would like to know God and follow mm-hmm. God, they are most welcome to join the people and then wouldn't be any problem to connect in that way. But first of all, a person who have a desire to follow God, and we touch on even last week the story of Ruth, for example, and uh, she was not from God's people, she was a Moabite. Mo- Yes, that's right. And uh, yeah. but she married in uh, yeah. in Israel and was even the uh, ancestor of Jesus mm. Christ. Mm. But that's the probably the most important thing, maybe even on this uh, Bible study today, to to talk about how can we be on the same page, following God, not to not to uh, mix in a relationship in which we will be one going left and the other one right or whatever mm. because then you, you cannot pull together yeah. and that's probably the main uh, main lesson yeah. for one of the interesting things out of this is that uh, Deuteronomy 9, 4 and 5 I'd like someone to read that one for us when you look at God's command that Len has read to us it seems quite unequiv- unequivocal doesn't it God said don't marry them because they'll turn your heart away from me now we then look at it and say, is this a general principle for life? Was it specifically applicable to the Israelites? What can we learn from this? What does Deuteronomy 9, 4 and 5 say about these people that Israel was now entering their land and going to... Obviously, they would have to intermingle with them to a degree, even if not in marriage, in commerce and in other aspects, these people would be all around them. So what does uh, Deuteronomy 9, 4 and 5 say? Lydia, could you read those couple of verses? After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possessions of this land because of my righteousness. No, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. Okay. And 5, verse 5 It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going in to take possessions of the land, but on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All right, thank you. In summarizing those two verses that you've read, Lydia, what can we say? 
Israel was given the promised land not because of their goodness. They were promised it because God had said that they would get it. We also get the impression here that the wickedness of these nations that, Len, you were referring to earlier on, had reached its climax. In other words, you could use the term their probation had closed and God was using Israel to drive them out. Mm. The problem that Israel had from here on, as we will study in the lesson, is that they didn't drive all of them out. They drove some of them out. Mm. And it's those that remained that constituted the problem. Len, you've got a comment. Well, this highlights an <coughs> issue that I've had people talk to me about. They, they, they come from this angle. If God is such a loving God, why were the Israelites commanded to destroy all those people groups of the land which they later came in and took possession of. You've touched on it, I think, here, Brenton. Um, those people were so wicked, there was no, no chance that they would ever turn from their wicked ways. They were steeped in wickedness and evil. And so they met an early judgment in yes, this. Yes. But what I would like to especially highlight here, the issue that we're dealing with today is compromise with evil and or the agents of evil. I want to give a little story. I once visited a family and they said to me, would you like to have a drink? Referring to an alcoholic drink. I said, well... I wouldn't mind a glass of water because I don't drink alcoholic drinks. Mm -hmm. The drink took a long time in coming. And what had happened, the man had mixed a tasteless alcoholic drink with the water. He thought he was going to be funny and he was going to get me to drink. Now, I tasted it. It tasted like water. But somehow or another, I didn't drink it. I felt there was something right. fishy going on here. And this is the whole, whole thing. By intermarrying and bringing in a culture which will include religious practices, will compromise the marriage partners. Mm -hmm. And this is what God is talking about. Do not do this because you will eventually compromise. Okay, Nick? Yeah, just to what uh, Len was sharing, I think that's very important to to keep in mind that uh, uh, lots of people will have um, all sorts of excuses uh, and um, complaints about God and uh, the loving God and how can a loving God do such of things which we read in the Old Testament. I would like to say something here today. Who are we, human beings, the creation of God, Almighty God, to corner God and to challenge God and say to, to him that he's wrong or right in, uh, in some it's things. Good point, now, God is, is telling us, come and reason with me in which respect we cannot. Sometimes we step a, a step further and we put ourselves on a position higher than God. We take decision for ourselves, which doesn't have God in picture. And then we wonder when we hit the brick wall. Why is going this wrong mm. way? Mm. And that's, sure. that's what I thought. Uh, if you really want to challenge God, you really need to know the Word of God to see how a loving Creator is He. Sure. 
Thank you. Lydia, could you read uh, Nehemiah 13, verse 23 through to verse 27, and then we will have a look at this, because it relates to a couple of questions. Moreover, in those days I saw men of Judah, who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, or the language of one of the other peoples, and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. I would like to comment now on this first, and after I will continue reading. So here we could see that in Nehemiah's time, it happened and is repeated again, that this decision, bad decisions to intermarry with non-believers mm. and uh, or idol worshippers. So it happened in Ezra's time, and yes. after 13 and years, it happened mind. again. Yeah. So. Yeah. What, what is Just here? a quick one, Lydia, to, to, for you to comment on. What is the problem here with the language issue? Which language was the it, law of God and the uh, Torah actually yeah. done in? Uh, it was done in Hebrew. Since the children didn't speak Aramaic, the language used during the exile, or Hebrew, they couldn't understand the teachings from Scripture. This was a real problem because the knowledge of God's revelation could thus be distorted or even disappear. The scribes and priests expounded on the Torah, mostly in Aramaic, in order to make the preaching clear to the people. However, since the mothers were from Ammon, Ashdod, and Moab, and were generally the primary caregivers for the children, it is not surprising that the children didn't speak the language of the fathers as well. The language we speak informs the way we think about concepts because we use the vocabulary of that culture. Loss of the biblical language would have meant losing their special identity. I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. I made them take an oath in God's name and said, You are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. It was not because of marriages like this that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned. Among the many nations there was no king like him. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by foreign women. So we have here the example of Solomon. Mm-hmm. So Solomon intermarried mm-hmm. with idol worshippers, non-believers, women, and they shifted his mind from the true God to the idol okay. worshippers. Right, so you. this is the example that we should follow in our yeah. days also. Okay, thank you, Lydia. That's a good point. Tell me, did Solomon have an excuse for his intermarriage with, he had, we are told, 700 wives and 300 concubines? Now, most of these were marriages, I won't use the term marriages of convenience, but they were marriages related to political alliances. Uh, sometimes trade alliances and things of this particular nature. And First Kings 11, which we aren't going to look at, tells us very clearly that in his old age, his wives turned his heart away from God. Len, I think you had a comment that you're about to make. Like I said before, this is a very important issue we're dealing with today. In um, sociological terms, I think it's called a cultural relation. Mm. In other words, acquiring 
other beliefs and ideas from another culture. Solomon had a pure heart at the beginning, but it was only because of the compromises that he made through his marriages with these foreign princesses that pulled his heart away. Yes. And this is a, is a big, a really big issue. It sounds like it's a bit old-fashioned and fuddy-duddy, but it's not. Uh, Ken was talking about in the beginning how that uh, young people, when they get married, you might have a believer and a non-believer. The general pattern is that the believer also becomes an unbeliever. And God doesn't want that. He wants a knowledge of his love, his mm. kingdom, yeah. to be spread through believing people, not to be lost because of unbelief. And uh, Brandon, just uh, one one thing uh, in regard to the question you you ask uh, if uh, Solomon was was well, right. Asked, was there any excuse? Was, was, was any excuse there? Our panel are nodding their heads. Yeah, I, I believe there was no one excuse in in that regard. But think of this, because you mentioned about in his reign, you know, that uh, Solomon was very powerful. Um, and you may think, oh, that was a very wise decision, you know, to get some of the nation around, you know, to, and he's the one, uh, the king who had peace on, on his reign like never before, ne never other kings before. But the question is here, when God promised that I will be your support, your leader, yes, your, yes. how can you then go and say, okay, I'm going to make alliances with the neighbor here, yes. not to be threatened, you know, in, in my reign here. Yep. Who do you trust in? Do you trust in your God who revealed to you who he is, or you trust in your own abilities and your own judgment? Because that's what I believe in today's uh, experience, you know, in particular in marriage, we rely a lot on our own um, capacity sure, sure. Of, of judging for what's best for us, rather than go to God and uh, talk to God and ask and allow God to be part of this process in your life. Yeah, good point. Ken, you had a comment? Yeah, I was going to say <coughs> something along the same lines about Solomon. Again, he was one of the greatest of, of all people in the Old Testament. But I think it, uh, a point comes up, as I can see here, that I'll say it's a flaw. I don't know if that's the right uh, way to put it, but that many Christians have. And this is coming back to faith and trust. Uh, many Christians say, oh, yes, I trust God and I have faith in God. But then they seem to sometimes go down a different path or uh, do something that doesn't seem to be in line with what God has perhaps ordained. And I think the same thing perhaps with Solomon but the other thing, of course, is being a male. Uh, I'm sure perhaps many of these women round about were extremely beautiful. And uh, it was very hard, I guess, for him to give some of these things up. But again, it comes back to, I believe, he wasn't <coughs> trusting God 100%. Mm. Mm. Okay. There is an old statement which says, the road to destruction is paved with good, good intentions. intentions. And this is what often happens. And I suspect that there are people listening to us right now who have got difficulties in their lives because of uh, marrying somebody who was of a different nature, a different culture, if you like, a different religion. It's, it's not only to do with religion. And uh, 
it, it doesn't work very well. Doesn't. And God's warning is valid, was valid then, and it's still valid yep. today. Mm. But, but one, one thing before Lija is going through uh, now here, because that thing is very important, because people say, come on, guys. There are, we live in a very uh, globalized society, and in, people are married intercultural. But again, comes to the point, if both of the candidates come to that conclusion that they would like to go in, in one direction, unfortunately, in, uh, in this context, people are married uh, with, uh, with the neighbors, not even asking what do they believe, what's their background, and, all, and they find out later on that they are worshipping other gods and also other things. Sure. Now, I'm not necessarily now saying, oh, you should not marry anybody if he's not from your uh, mob, because we live in a different time, and people can actually choose, and if they choose the right thing, the right way to go, and hopefully uh, respecting that commitment and that vow, if you like, which they make, then I can't see a real big problem, even though there may be some uh, some problems here and there, you know. Yeah. But uh, unfortunately, we live in a time when we need to work out to see how these things can work together for the good. Mm. We, have a pro- we have a proverb in Romanian, and it's saying, uh, tell me with who you are uh, acquainted, and I'm going to tell you who you are. So it's exactly that's happens good, because usually mm. the wicked things has a stronger tendency to grab the good one yes. and and yeah. make make him wicked. Yes. Uh, and Rather we observe than the other way around. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Lynn? Well, you know, I had to deal with this in my life as a single person. Who should I marry? I went out with a number of really nice girls. But I realized that these girls were not Christians. Mm. And I thought about this very issue we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I ended the relationship. And it wasn't until I, I met, well, I think it was God who organized, <laughs> organized our marriage it. way beforehand. And it's, it's a fascinating story. I might tell it on air one day. But here we had the same beliefs mm-hmm. and the same interests mm. not all the same that, but there was common ground all yes. the way through yes. Yes. whereas with some of those other girls who I'd been out with uh, there was not a great deal in common and religion was a big issue and religion is important to me yeah. I, I want to be found in favour by God and not out of favour mm. and so I made a deliberate choice not to continue with those relationships. But Len, if you had a story, I have a story. I had men in my life before I got married, very educated, very handsome, and many others rich, on the other hand, but I couldn't have anything in common with them because we could, we didn't have anything to discuss between us. Yes. It was like an emptiness. And I said, this is not going to have any future, so... I ended up, as you said, because there was not common ground. Yeah, nipped it in the bud. Exactly. Okay. Well, thank you, everybody, for your comments thus far. Um, Ezra 9 and 10 point out that those who actually uh, brought this to the attention of Ezra, apart from his own personal observation, were, in many cases, the ordinary people. One of the questions that I have is today, in the context in which we're living today, is it important 
for the lay people of the church to bring to the attention of the leadership sometimes issues that need to be dealt with. I'm not suggesting that the leaders are not aware of the issues, but here you find in Ezra 9 and Ezra 10, it's the common people coming to Ezra and saying, look, this is what's going on. In fact, some of the key leaders in Israel are married to foreign women. Where do we go from here? So is there a principle here that if we see these issues, we should bring them to the attention of those who uh, have authority in the church? I believe that's a very, very important question, uh, Brenton, because... Um, I, I uh, thought so, Nick. That's we'll, why we'll, I put it in here. We'll find out that uh, uh, lots of things happens today and all over history, you know. When the mob, when people were acting in a way or the other, changes came. Mm. Because when you are in leadership, a part of standing for what is truth and what is right, you have also an, if you like, a responsibility Mm -hmm. to keep things together, you know, to keep things Mm -hmm. working, you know, for the sake of the, you know, whatever, peace and and temptation is Mm -hmm. big there for the leadership to uh, let it go as long as it uh, goes smoothly. But when people are coming up and realizing, and this was the case here, looking, this, this just simple man, people around there say, look, what we're doing here, that's not right. And they even mentioned that haven't we been experiencing all that slavery and other things and other things because of this? Mm. They're aware of their history. They remember mm. uh, the history. And I think that was a very good thing. And coming back to the leadership here, because uh, uh, some people may ask that, I mean, wow, what's that? That uh, Who was that? Was Ezra or Nehemiah? Uh, no, that, that was Ezra. Ezra that even beaten some of them and pulled their hairs. No, Nehemiah. No, Nehemiah did Nehemiah. that. But Ezra, in the case of Ezra, Nick, what you've got is a situation where the common people are observing that the leaders are involved in this particular thing. Mm-hmm. Now, for those of us who are leaders, and some of us here are leaders in our churches and mm-hmm. in various other aspects of um, spiritual life, it is incumbent upon us to set the right example to those who are observing. Mm-hmm. And we have to teach yeah. our children yeah. and youth in yeah. regard to this yeah. because we are experienced people, yeah. so we have to give them a hint, we have to explain to them, open mm-hmm. a, a window of yeah. light for them. Then you had a comment, your pen is high in the air. Your question... <laughs> could be rephrased this way. Are those who govern the only ones who have a responsibility? Mm, I believe that not only those who govern, but those who are governed also have a responsibility. If there's something within society, within the church, or whatever it may be, even in the family, I believe we have a responsibility to point out what that problem is. We may not have the solution, but to point out the problem and that we can work out a proper Mm -hmm. solution. Now, in the case of Nehemiah Mm -hmm. uh, and that passage that Lydia read before, Nehemiah, when he learned what was going on, he got absolutely stropping mad. He was furious. He he went so far as Mm -hmm. to pull some people's hair out. That would have been publicly. I'm sure. And these people were made to know in name and shame. Uh, no uncertain <laughs> terms yeah. that Nehemiah was angry because yes. they had 
done the wrong thing. Yes. This beating, as you said, uh, Brenton, uh, was a prescribed form of public yes, punishment. And mm. this, this kind of behavior was applied only to some of them, mm. meaning to the leaders who caused or promoted this wrong behavior. And these acts were to serve as methods of public shaming. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's a good point. Ken, I think you had a brief comment before we move on. Again, I just wanted to agree with what Len is saying, and also I, I do strongly believe that the people in the church, that if they feel or know something is wrong, they should definitely point it out. Sure. However, my experience has been, I'm not saying obviously this is with all the churches, that sometimes when it's pointed out to those in charge, nothing changes, which I find very disappointing. Oh, and I was thinking on the same line, Ken, this was a very fortunate situation that in uh, like Nehemiah or Ezra, there were people who had an open ear and there were people who were interested in the, in the well-being of the whole nation. Mm. But as you just pointed out, unfortunately, too often in these days when people are in leadership and in power, having power in their hands, they are not paying attention to what's going on in, in the This is where the public. importance of communication between leadership and laity is so important. I believe that these, that these two aspects are very, very important. As Len has pointed out, and I believe, Len, you're quite correct in what you said, it is incumbent upon those of us who are leaders, it is also incumbent upon those of us who are laity, that if there are issues, we should address them honestly and in the right spirit. And we find here, as we have a look at another aspect of um, Ezra's uh, particular solution to the problem, in Ezra 10 and verse 3, we find that some steps were taken. They weren't taken by Ezra. You'll note that another person now enters the picture. Exit stage, well not exit, but entry stage right. We find uh, someone else coming into the picture in Ezra 10 and verse 3, and he makes some suggestions as to what they need to do to rectify this particular problem. While you're looking it up, I need to say one thing that is fairly important. The reason that Ezra and Nehemiah were so hot on this particular issue is that they considered that these marriages were not, in fact, legitimate marriages. Therefore, the wording that is used when you study this particular subject is not the wording of divorce. It's the wording of separation. Mm. There is a difference between the two. A significant difference. In Ezra's eyes and in the eyes of Nehemiah, he considered that these marriages were illegitimate, so to speak, or illegal, if you will, from the word go. So therefore dissolving them was not the same as dissolving a marriage that God approved of because God never approved of this marriage in the first place or this relationship in the first place. So it was not about national nationalism, mm. but about idolatry because these uh, women, these or men which were in, uh, in their marriage, uh, they didn't want to renounce of their idolatrous life. That, that was the problem. Issue, yes. Because if they, if they were willing to worship the Lord God, yes. the mm. true God, they could stay. But, but they didn't want to renounce. That isn't the case. Yes. Exactly. Uh, that was the problem. I'd like to read the chapter I'll 10 read. of verse. Thank you, Lynn. Um, Ezra chapter 10. I'm going to read verse 2 yes, as well as 3. Mm. Then Shekinah son of Jehiel, one of the descendants of Elam, said to Ezra, We have been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women from the peoples around us. But in spite of this, there is still hope for Israel, 
And here comes the crunch. Now let us make a covenant before our God to send away all these women and their children in accordance with the counsel of my Lord and of those who fear the commands of our God. Let it be done according to the law. So here we have Shechaniah, who is not a person who is necessarily a leader. He may have been an underleader. He admitted and says, we've been unfaithful. He's admitted that they had done wrong. He also proposed a solution, solution to the mm. problem and said, what we have to do is to be rid of these women in, in this case and their children. And their children. We've got to remove this cancer from our midst. Wouldn't we today in 2019 say that that's pretty drastic treatment? Mm, would we? Mm. It's very drastic. <coughs> mm. Called for? If there are any similarities mm. in today's uh, society, what will be suggestion or uh, some advice mm -hmm. to the people today? Because this is, I believe, it's a very, very tricky, tricky one. They took a very strong decision there to send away and you may think what was the guilt of those children you know or you know to be separated sure, from their sure. fathers and so on and so forth but okay. how can you see a link here in what's going on in society today and all the troubles mm -hmm. and in following the counsel and advice of god in the first place okay uh, i'll use an analogy here mm. to make this a bit clearer if you find that you have a cancerous growth, what should you do about it? If you don't remove it, it's going to be the end of, the end of your life. It will be mm. something that will destroy you. Yes. So it has to be got rid of. However, it's got rid of by surgery or chemical or radio yeah. therapy. Um, therapy or whatever. Yes. It's got to be got rid of. And Shekinah recognized this yes. within that, that current society. Mm. And, and just to build up on that, Len, very quickly, because uh, to, to use the same illustration, uh, not just you want to take an action to do something about that uh, uh, bad thing in your body, but sometimes you may be in a position of getting get rid of, of some of your organs or some of your uh, parts of your body to get rid of it of that uh, yes. cancerous yeah. thing. Yeah. And that's not an easy decision, you know for people to do yeah. but for the best of the whole uh, being mm, yeah. then you may take decisions in other like words that. for the benefit of the rest, rest of your body often mm. when they treat cancer they not only take out the cancer they take out things around it sometimes yeah. so that the cancer won't spread ken what have, uh, i just wanted to re reiterate i think a very very important point i understand that people today listening to this particular uh, study may look at this and as we've said this is a very harsh treatment of these people mm. but also we have mentioned the fact that if these people these women etc and, and whatever uh, would turn to God he would more than be happy to have them with the group how do we know that we know that by remember last week we talked about the genealogy of Jesus, Jesus Christ and um, what we had was a situation where we had four women in the book of Matthew mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And most of those women were foreign women. One of them, one of them was a Moabitess, 
and so on and so forth. But these women had become followers of the true God. This is the difference between there and here. Now I want to turn to Nehemiah 13 verse 28. And uh, Ken, could you read that for us? <coughs> Nehemiah didn't, didn't only go so far as to smite these people and pull out their hair as public shaming. He went a little further than that. He found out that the grandson of the high priest had compromised his situation very significantly. Let's have a look and see what he did. So this is uh, Nehemiah 13 and verse 28. Reading from the King James Version. And one of the sons of Juhada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat the Horonite. Therefore, I chased him from me. Do you know what that means? I think it chased him out of the camp. And got no, no, it means more than that. The Bible commentary suggests he was exiled. He was exiled. kicked out. Finished. No doubt he and his wife. Yeah, I'm sure the family of And possibly gone. children too, which yes. we don't know about. Does this suggest that Nehemiah and Ezra were taking this seriously? Because what's at risk here? This is the lineage of Jesus Christ. These people coming back, Christ came through the line here, didn't, didn't he? Mm. Further down the track. And when you go back and you look at what Ezra did in Ezra 9 and Ezra 10, he, he starts out by tearing his clothes by pulling his hair and part of his beard out, and in the end he's down prostrate on the ground, almost rubbing his face in the dirt and saying, Lord, we're actually worse off than they were before. Our sins have now gone so far that what are we going to do? He's in distress. But you know what? We learn something from this. We learn that when a leader sees a need, when the leader sees what needs to be done and is in distress others gather around him we find that don't we in the, uh, in Ezra chapter 10 it says all the people came around both wives and children and they were weeping with him I think yeah. it's good to um, recognize <clears throat> that although the society we live in mightn't be what it could be that there are many good people who want things to be right in uh, our current society and um, not everybody is devoted to wickedness and I think people like that make a difference in society sometimes they might be quiet observers but when a movement begins to clean up society in whatever it is take for example this banking royal commission and the revelations that the NAB has been doing uh, dirty deals, illegal deals and money laundering and so on, well people are not happy about it and people will come out and support any reform to fix up what is wrong. Mm. Okay. I was going to just read that verse which you just alluded to, um, Brendan Ezra you, 9 verse 6, you can. because it says here very, very clearly, and I said, oh my God, I am too ashamed and too humiliated to lift up my face to you. Right. My God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. Mm. You know, he's realizing the situation, and he's acknowledging that before God. Because another thing here, you see, we may try to excuse 
some of the things going on in uh, mm. today's yes. society and all, all over in history. Yes. But the question is this, are we self-righteous? Are we a, a person who would like to look at ourselves and think how we do mm. good things? Uh, or are we obeying God? Mm. Because that's the question in the end. And if we are not obeying God, then just keep in mind this, because we are talking about how can a loving God destroy people as we started with the Bible yeah. study before. Mm. If that's the case, what would you say when God will come to put an end to this sorrow and, well, and things on, thing. on this earth. It's, it's the, the same, same thing. thing. Except this time it's universal rather than localized. Absolutely. Mm. And that's what I'm trying to say. He's the same God. Yeah. That God is the same God in the mm. Old Testament, in the New Testament. Yeah. And uh, as the Bible says, He's the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. And we are here to learn from Him. Sure. To be able to to escape some mm. of those bad things. And probably while I'm talking, I know uh, an example coming to my mind. Uh, I think it's very well known by people when uh, one of the judges of Israel, and you may remember Samson. Samson was a, a, a handsome man and a, a, a man chosen by God b by his birth, you know, yes. but he chose to go wrong way. And even say, take that woman because I like her. Yeah. He was thinking more about himself rather than to obeying God. Yes. And uh, another story came in my mind, and I will finish with that now. Um, it says a little bit of, uh, not amusing, but, you know, it says that uh, John and Mary want to get married. And John was uh, loving Mary, and he said uh, to himself, look, I need to ask God if it's God's will to marry Mary. And he went to God and prayed and said, oh, God, look, I really love Mary. Um, but I want to, uh, you know, to ask you, you know, because uh, he thought to be God's will. And he, and he prayed a little bit like this. Oh, dear God, please be your will, but Mary be mine. You know, yes. All right. you know we, we, we sometimes thinking that we do God's will, mm. but we still want to do our own. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Good point. Uh, Lydia, did you have a quick comment? Um, yes, I would like to say that we have to realize that this situation between Ezra and Nehemiah time was a one-time event. It was very drastic, but according to God's will, uh, because the future and worship of the whole community of Israel was at risk. Mm -hmm. It was very traumatic here because yeah. sending away the mothers from family sure. with children that's, that's doesn't seem way. rational. Yeah. But mm. even this being a unique time, and in a sense, if we fully want to follow God, requires sometimes radical measures. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I want to now have a look at, uh, thanks, Elijah. I want to have a look at First uh, Corinthians 7, verses 10 to 17, uh, as, as the concluding portion of our study for today. Paul is obviously a New Testament person, yes. He's obviously a person who um, had a very significant effect on the people of Corinth. All the people that Paul is writing the book of 1 Corinthians to were probably people that Paul had converted to the Christian faith. Therefore, different time, different place. Remember, these people ha were unbelievers and they had turned from idols, from pagan worship, to the worship of the true God. I think you meant these people were believers, previously unbelievers. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, 
Len, could you read verses 10 to 17 for us? There's a few there, but if we read it through reasonably quickly, what we can do in the time that we have remaining is pull out some principles here. That to I the marriage, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. The wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer, and is she, if she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer, and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Hmm. Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. Mm. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Okay, that's a fairly definitive statement. How would we interpret this? First of all, let's say you've got a situation where you've got an unbelieving wife and a believing husband. Paul's counsel here says what? In simple terms. Stay together. Stay together but if she's willing to live with you. This yeah. is a very interesting passage because if we, if, if we look passage. at the, what we have discussed before, this is a, some sort of contradiction here, you know. Just before we're talking about to send away, you know, the, to separate, to, and here it's saying stay together. But we have to put the uh, uh, right things in place here. Paul is talking about here people who are coming, let's say, from... Uh, outside, yes. and one of them may come to faith. Mm-hmm. Now they they were married before, and yes. that's that's what yes. I understand from this mm-hmm. passage. Mm-hmm. And one come to know God and uh, follow uh, God, and the counsel is here not to divorce the unbeliever, uh, you know, because they were married before that. Mm-hmm. But if the other party wanted to leave the believer, then let it happen. Because it's better that We're way. We're told not to hinder them. Yes. That's correct. Yeah, and, and here is the, the important point for me uh, today. We don't need to jump in marriage with unbelievers. If you are a believer and you need to choose a partner, then mm-hmm. don't go and, and choose an unbeliever because you'll be in the same situation. That's like, pretty clear. You know? yes. But if, if you happen to come to know mm-hmm. God, Mm-hmm. then stay in that relationship. That's the counsel. Uh, and you may be able to be a witness yeah. to to your husband or your wife. Or well, that's in true. That Lydia, you had a comment? Yes. In this kind of marriages with um, believer and unbeliever, first of all, we must represent God in how we conduct mm-hmm. family, yes. uh, raising up children, interact with the spouse and children, also including the way we address issues with our spouse or with someone else uh, in life, and also in the way we conduct business, do our jobs, Mm. and so on, to be an example for 
the other spouse who doesn't know God for the other spouse to see in me mm. that I mm. know a God yeah. and I follow a God and I love a God and in this way I can uh, if I live a good example the other spouse may be willing to love the Lord and serve the Lord as it's I possible. do it's possible yeah. mm. thank you Legit. I just wanted to point out I think something a little bit important here is Nick just said this just seemed to be a bit of a, a strange thing to say. We were just reading a minute ago, get rid of all these people. Now we're basically saying, no, they can stay with us. But we have to look at the the time frame and what was going on. And the Old Testament was different time period, basically, from the New Testament. And these other people were very wicked and doing the wrong things. Yeah. Uh, I know a couple right now at this very minute where the man became a Christian, although when they married... They were not Christians. Yes. There is a lot of trouble in the home. And what I was reading from what the Apostle Paul wrote, um, the key here is God has called us to live in peace. Yes. So if an unbelieving husband and or wife uh, is with a believing husband and or wife and they can get on all right and there's not turmoil in the home, yeah. that's acceptable. But if there's trouble all the time, it's better to sever the relationship. Mm. Okay, thank you for your comments. Can I summarise this very quickly? Because, Nick, you brought it up. Um, Ken, you've responded to it. Uh, It's regarding the difference between the situation in Ezra and Nehemiah's day and the situation here. There is a difference, and that difference needs to be Mm recognised. The difference is that in Ezra and Nehemiah's day, these people have the history of Israel's failure on this particular point Mm -hmm. to point them to. What Paul is dealing with in the New Testament is people who have come from paganism to Christianity who did not have that history. Mm -hmm. There's an entirely different scenario in place here. And Paul is basically saying, and I see very clearly in the verses you read, Len, this, I see very clearly that wherever possible, Paul is saying you should retain the marriage relationship. Mm -hmm. He is reflecting back to Eden, to God's original intention. Not uh, let's see if we can deal with it this way or deal with it that way. He's wherever possible saying we should try and maintain that relationship. Remember the couple were married before they became Christians or before one person became a Christian. The situation in Nehemiah and Ezra's days is entirely different. These people had the history of Solomon. They had the history of all these other failures that Israel had had as a result of intermarriage, and yet they were still doing it. They were doing it in the full face of all the history that they had previously had. Whereas here you've got a somewhat different situation where Paul is saying wherever possible, as Len has said, maintain the peace. Wherever possible, if an unbelieving wife is willing to stay with a believing husband or vice versa, who knows? He says, but the believing one may sanctify or make holy the unbelieving one. Yeah, and I'd like to, Brenton, here just to, to bring up this, uh, I believe, uh, a very valid point that Jesus himself was the one who taught them how to approach this situation. Because unfortunately, he faced it himself, Jesus, in, in his time when people were writing uh, letters of separation to their spouses. Mm-hmm. Uh, why? Because just they come to a point, say, "Okay, I had enough of this, uh, my partner. You know, I need uh, a new one, or I, you know." And just writing a letter of separation, and 
here is the, the thing which I would like to learn from this lesson for me today. Regardless of the time, if it happened in Nehemiah's time, or it happened in our time, or in, in the apostles' time, the principle was the same. Yes, it is. God's principle was yeah. the same, never changed. Even we live in a, uh, as many Christians uh, believe, they will say we live in a test- New Testament time, doesn't matter. The principle is the same. We need to build on a relationship which God's approve. Yeah. And and if we want to back up that thing, mm. we have plenty yeah. of information in the sure. Bible how to support that, but mm. not to uh, to just seek our own uh, benefits or mm. our own yes. desires. Yes. For what we have seen here in uh, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah about these issues of mixed uh, marriages, it's very clear that God takes marriage seriously. Mm. And uh, that we should also, as well, we should prayerfully consider a potential marriage partner and include God in the decision making. Mm -hmm. And we should decide to be faithful to God's principles, which can protect us from much uh, sadness and misery. The Edenic plan for marriage is called for a complementary wholeness for two partners in spiritual faith as well as other significant values. Now, I know we're pushing against time, Brenton, but in our (laughs) our own home, my wife and I have an order of priority. God first, each other second, children third, and then other people after that. And I think the wise thing for any Mm. young people Mm. intending to get married is put God first and what God says and each other second, you will have a happy marriage. Here's something to think about in closing. The gospel does not seek to overthrow suddenly the existing order of things. Instead, it slowly penetrates into all the affairs of one's life and brings about a change in a slow and orderly process. Here we learn the general fact that Christianity does not disturb existing relationships so far as they are not sinful, but only aims to infuse them with a new spirit. And I think that's a good point to finish our study on for today. Len, would you like to offer prayer for us? Well, before I do, (laughs) from us here at the panel, folks, we hope you have a happy Christmas time Mm -hmm. as you interact with your families and friends. And remember why Christmas is about anyhow. It's about the fact that Jesus came to this earth to save sinners from their sins. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you for this instructive study Mm. that we've done today. And this study cuts across our lives in a very personal way. We pray that in all that we do, in our business relationships, our whatever it is, but particularly our personal relationships, that we will put you first and honour you because you you know how humanity should live and what brings peace and happiness. Mm. And so, Lord, I want to pray for all of our listeners that they will put you first and uh, follow your word and they will be given happiness and eventually eternal life. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray this. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Thank you very much, uh, panel. Uh, this was a very good discussion and um, a very important topic. And I would like to just uh, say this to any of our listeners. If you're going through challenging relationship, a difficult situation in this regard, and if you like to know more about that and you're not sure uh, in which direction to, to go, please uh, write to us or ring us, contact us, and we'll be more than happy to share more from the Bible with you. May God bless you and have a safe time in the footsteps of Jesus.